Let's kick it off. Doing the strip club voice. Hey, welcome back. <laughs> Everybody get your dollars ready for Dylan. Dylan on the main stage. He's <laughs> walking right. out to pour some sugar on me. Classic. <laughs> and serious. Here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Formula America podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kurt. I'm Dylan. <laughs> and we're back with our first podcast of 2023. This is actually our fifth podcast all together and our first one of 2023. And today we're going to switch things up a little bit. We're going to have a little bit more of a technical talk with our resident uh, Formula America technical expert. Mr. Dylan, he's much more in tune with the, the technical regulations and the changes than I am. Um, so we're going to go over some of the new technical changes regarding the cars for 2023 season and kind of get into, you know, what impacts that may have on the performance of the cars and on the racing together. And then Dylan, afterwards, I kind of want to talk about a poll that I recently saw where F1 put up a, um, a poll for what the fans thought was the best race of the season in the top five. And I gotta say, I'm not. I'm not pleased. I don't agree with the results. I completely. Agree. I think Solid I know why two. they are. I agree with like number one and number two, maybe. But there's a couple of races that needed to be on there, so we can get into that. Yeah, for sure. But man, happy New Year! Welcome back. This is uh, it's it's going along fast, man. I can't believe that we're already in January so far. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to believe. <laughs> All right, so. Let's go ahead, man. What's going on with these regulation changes? I saw there's quite a few that have been released for next year or for this year. There's quite a few. Some of them that were released like earlier in the year that everyone expected that they've made changes to. I mean, there's always regulation changes from year to year. Um, there's always a ton of back end stuff. I think we got seven of like the hot topic ones, though, that we're going to cover. Um, the first one is aerodynamics and porpoising, which Ooh. was a huge issue this year. Um, you know, coming out into the 2022 season cars, you know, Lewis Hamilton looked like a bobblehead going down any straightaway. So did Ferrari. I mean, porpoising was a horrible issue. Um, that it was a serious safety concern. I think it's always an issue when you're doing 200 miles an hour down a straightaway and you're bouncing up and down off the ground. Like makes it kind of hard what, to, to spot your, your turn in points and your breaking points. I'm sure. They legitimately look like bobbleheads at time. Like it was, you watch like the helmet cams and you're like, how did you see anything at all? Right. Like, it's ridiculous. And this definitely is safety concern. And the FIA made it immediately known that that's a safety concern and everyone needs to get that straightened out immediately. Um, so yeah, I mean, no surprise there, but there have been some changes to it originally. So for everyone that doesn't know, porpoising is due to, the new car ground effect packages. The previous cars of uh, 21 and older used barge boards and largely things on top of the car to create downforce. The new cars use ground effects. They use the floor of the car to create the mass amount of downforce. Um, but the problem is, is that when you create all that downforce at high speed, it sucks the car down to the ground and then the air escapes and it creates less downforce and the car pops back up and then it sucks it back down again and you just go up and down like that. Um, so they're creating new regs to try and combat porpoising largely for safety concerns, nothing against the performance and all that good stuff, largely safety. 
Um, and so originally halfway through the season, they said they're going to lift the edges of the floor up 25 millimeters. There was a ton of pushback from that. Said it let too much air out, caused all kinds of issues, you know, sacrificing performance, all that. And so the, the FIA actually listened and they dropped it down to the floor will be raised 15 millimeters. Um, you can actually see F1 Tech Talks does a whole bit on um, McLaren at the last race of the year in 22 in FP1 put a 2023 prototype floorboard on their car and ran it with Lando, I believe, um, and didn't largely make any difference. And um, But it was interesting seeing just the complete difference in floor designs. They break down and how it all looks, mm-hmm. how it's all broken out. So, um, also so I think that's real- a big piece. So real quick, in American, 15 millimeters is just over half an inch. So 0.59 inches. Because I know I didn't know what that was. (laughs) There's there's everyone that uses the metric system and then those that have been to the moon. So, you know, inches it is. True. (laughs) So that's the big one with the aerodynamic packages. There's a little bit of differences being changed with the front and rear wing, but that's all kind of just normal, nothing astronomical. The, The big difference is the changes to the floor in order specifically to combat porpoising. So I was, I was looking or I was watching a, a thing the other day talking about how the teams like certain teams got it right. And certain teams like Mercedes Ferrari just got, got it completely wrong. Right. And then kind of like the reaction and what they did to fix it. And it was interesting. I, I didn't really understand it as much until I was watching this, but they're sh- talking about how Mercedes, um, like when they designed their car, it was designed like strictly for the ground force. That was all their downforce. They really didn't um, like account for the porpoising for some reason. They completely missed the ball on that. But then you think, all right, well, just raise the car up. But then they got into how once the car is designed for a certain ride height to be so low, all the suspension pieces are designed for that ride height. The suspension travel isn't made to lift the car up and then still have the, an adequate amount of travel. And they're talking about how once you do that and you lift up the car, then you lose the downforce from the ground effect, uh, effect or the, yeah, the ground effects underneath the car. So then in order to combat that, they had to put bigger wings on the car. And then once they put bigger wings, it increased the downforce, but the bigger wings also increased the drag. So then in the straights, they were a lot slower. And then it was just talking about how everything is like a give or take. You know, what's that old? It's like for every action, there's an equal but opposite reaction, right? So everything you do to fix one problem is going to cause another problem. So it's like, which one do we want to deal with? And it's almost like some teams like Ferrari got to a point where they're like, eh, we're not going to deal with the problem. It's like, we pay you guys millions of dollars a year to drive these things. Just drive it the way it is. Yeah, and it's and that's fast why, enough, like, like, go. Exactly. You saw like halfway into the season, Charlotte Claire and Carlos Sainz are still bobbleheading, but they're right there at the front, you know, getting pole or P1 um, and quality and all that. But it's just a trade-off. And you saw how, how bad it was for people like Lewis Hamilton, that one race when he got out or couldn't even get out of the car and then finally did get out. And he's just like holding his back. And it's like, he I feel like you, he old man. Hurt. I know what that's like. Man. Yeah, Lewis did look like he was in a ton of pain getting out of the car that day. And you could just tell how bad. I think that was at that was at one of the street. Maybe it was Baku that had the long, like, mile and a half straightaway. And he was just getting <laughs> the crap beat out of him going down it. Um but then you look at teams like Red Bull and they largely attribute their success that they started at the floor. They, they I should have looked it up before this uh, podcast. The gentleman that they hired um, was like a floor ground effects wizard, came from GT, 
I think GT racing where largely all their ground, their downforce comes from floor. Um, and the way that he designed it in a teardrop, we, we could go way in the weeds. I went down a whole YouTube rabbit hole on it. It was super interesting to me because I like nerding out on that stuff. But just how right Red Bull got the floor. Um, and even Red Bull was like, that's why we won by so far is we came out of the gate with the floor done correctly. And everyone else was still trying to figure it out. And Red Bull is the only one with yep. the type of floor setup that they have. Everyone else had largely similar um, floor setups um, and, and the way that it channels the air, Red Bulls was completely different and it set them apart by far. So it'll be interesting now that the cat's out of the bag with how Red Bull did theirs coming into 2023. Everyone's got a little bit better idea. Um, it'd be really fun and interesting to see what they do with the floors and uh, how much better the performance is. Yeah, for sure. So, All right. So that's the, the aerodynamic one. What else do we got? So minimum weight slightly increased from 796 kilos to 798 kilos, so two kilograms. The cars are allowed to weigh four and a half pounds more than they did. Um, I just the, the one thing that I thought was interesting is the minimum weight of the cars is less than their horsepower. These cars literally wow. make more horsepower per kilogram than. I don't know what comparison I'm making to. They make more horsepower than they do kilograms. Like everyone always talks about the legendary yeah. one to one, like one horsepower yep. per kilogram is crazy, you know, high. And it is for a production car. I don't think there is any production car that actually meets that unless you get into like a Bugatti or something. But Formula One cars have more horsepower than they do weight. I thought that was interesting. But that's yeah. kind of I think whatever. there's actually, I think there's actually the Koenigsegg one one or one to one. And that's why it's called that. Yes. But I mean, that's, you know, a $3 million car. So, right. I'll go buy one tomorrow, though. Just write a check. Um, yeah, let me know how it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll, I'll write a slight review. Um, <laughs> so, next one roll hoop, roll bar uh, upgrades. So, from the Silverstone accident it was Guojan Yu, where his car, he hit a, a tire, flipped up on its top, and then at like 120 miles an hour, skidded across the top for, I don't know, 100 yards and then into the fence. And the roll bar, yeah. which goes, is a bar that actually goes through the air intake, that big horn on top. There's a roll bar through there. Um, and it completely failed uh, due to the impact on that accident. So from that accident specifically, there's new roll bar um, strength requirements being added in by the FIA to stop that. Um, that doesn't sound like a big change, but it actually is in a lot of ways. And the only reason I went down a rabbit hole last year on the halo, mm -hmm. um, and they, you know, you'd think just adding a halo is, it, well, you just put a hoop up there. It's kind of whatever. Um, but they talked about due to the strength requirements of the halo, everyone had to change their entire frames to make the halo strong enough to support the weight of the car and, and meet the weight requirements. And so it's the same thing with the roll hoop, like, oh, you have to make the roll hoop stronger. Well, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you get down to the physics of like, okay, I can make that bar thicker, but then that thickness has to travel down to the frame, is that right. frame points where it's attached strong enough to meet that. You might have to beef the frame up, makes the car stiffer, Right there, there's definitely like second and third order effects of just strengthening a roll bar. So it doesn't sound like a big hoop, a uh, big deal. It's not something that we're going to be able to visually see, but from a technical aspect, it does have a 
you know, a follow-on effect potentially to the strength of the cars. Yeah, I wonder if that is the reasoning why they increase the minimum weight because since you do since it is all tied into one structure since you mm-hmm. have to beef everything else up, so they're like, all right, increase the minimum weight to kind of allow for that and now keep everybody still the same. Yeah, and it's the same thing with the halos. Um, if you actually look at what the halo is made out of, there is a specific requirement for the attachments, for the material used. Like basically the teams were giving given a universal substructure of the halo and said you will attach this and then do whatever you want to make it aerodynamic. And so that's why you see if you actually get when you're watching the races and get that like uh, above head video shot, you can see that everyone's halos are different. The substructure is all identical and has the same requirement, but you're allowed to do whatever you want for aerodynamics to it. So I always thought that was kind of interesting looking at the different ways that people because they're just it's round tubing mm-hmm. is what the halo is made out of. And then you can do whatever. So I thought that was kind yeah, of that's cool. pretty cool. Next one, fuel temperature. So I'm just going to kind of read this. Um, in 2020, in, in 22, the fuel must not be colder than 20 degrees Celsius than ambient air temperature. In 23, it can't be colder than 10 degrees of ambient temperature. Um, so they're cutting down the difference in fuel temperatures um, from ambient temperatures, which is kind of it's getting super technical into like the combustion of the engine and how all of that works. Um, I, I think that a lot of it has to do with like the efficiency. Um, and, and I don't really know if that's going to make much of a difference. So, yeah, that's interesting to see, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Some of these, it's so technical. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what's 10 and 10 degrees. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, it's gonna make it a little bit like we can speculate on like the requirements of the teams to, do it right i don't know of any kind of performance difference i mean i'm sure there is but we're 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 not measuring that <laughs> so this is what i'm super excited about so the prospect of for a couple of uh qualifyings having mandatory tire selection so there's a couple of things in this rule change so generally throughout a race weekend teams are given 13 tires they're lowering that to 11 tires. Now, for everyone that doesn't know, um, you only get 11 tires, or in the past year's 13 tires for your entire weekend. So that's FP1, FP2, FP3, qualifying, and the race. Five rounds. You only get 13 tires, now 11. Well, sets of um, tires, right? So if you... Sets of tires. Yeah, sets of tires. That would be awkward if you only had 11 <laughs> tires. Um, and this is also... Um, Slicks, not including wet compounds. This is all the slick tires, so hard, medium, softs. Um, so you have to be smart in how you use up your allotment. If you use all of your soft tires between FP1 and qualifying, you've got no new soft tires for the race. So you have to be smart in how you use them. They're lowering that amount of tires allowed through the weekend, so you're going to have to get even smarter. Also... I heard that Pirelli is bringing in a new tire compound. So let me back up a little bit. So for a race weekend, there are five compounds of tires historically. Pirelli is apparently talking about bringing in a sixth. So when you hear hard, medium, soft, they're not the same every time. Pirelli rates their tire hardness between C1 and C5, C5 being the softest, C1 being the hardest. Now they're bringing in a C0. 
So it'll Ooh. be C0 through C5. You'll have six options. And at the beginning of a race, based on temperatures and weather, season, um, racetrack, you know, everything, the lunar eclipse's orbit, uh, Pirelli decides what three sets of tires you're going to use for that weekend. So they might say, hey, you're going to use the middle of the road. C C4 is your soft compound this weekend. C3 is medium. C2 is hard, right? Um so, which is kind of fun because if you think about it, you can have your soft tire one race actually be the hard tire for a different race. So <laughs> it's, right. so they change, they're talking about bringing in a C0, which would be an even harder compound tire. So that's kind of interesting. I wonder if that has anything to do with lowering the number of sets. But the big thing with this race, they're doing rumored so far two races. Um, they're going to set what tires you have to use for qualifying Q1 of qualifying. You'll use a hard tire Q2. You'll use a medium Q3. You'll use a soft. I think that's super interesting on what the implications of that are. I think that's a ton of fun. Um, cause some cars just do not perform well on certain tires on certain weekends, right? right? Like, well, Lewis's tires never perform well. He always complains <laughs> about them while well, he sets fastest laps, but, um, I think that'll be pretty cool to see how they, I think that changes the strategy dramatically. Like if you don't plan on using a hard tire one weekend, but you have to use it for qualifying, you better test it. You better know what's going on. You only have two or three sets of hard tires total. So you have to test it and be able to qualify on it. That's, uh, this definitely adds some technical implications to it. I'm a child. So I'm having a really hard time not making a Viagra joke about these super hard tires. <laughs> <laughs> You should make one. Actually, that was something Aubrey said when she was listening to our podcast. That it is very clear when we're trying not to cuss. And she was like, I'll cuss yep. anyway at some point. She was like, just cuss and talk normal. Like, do whatever you have to for the explicit. But stop censoring yourself. It sounds stupid. That's like, true because I, I noticed many times I'll do it. I'll be like, that's that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, just she's like, it's obvious on the podcast. Y'all need to just send it. I was like, all right. Yep. Yeah, that always, I always think that's super interesting. I loved, so before 2022 and 2021 and older races, Q2 of qualifying, if you made it into Q3, so if you're in the top 10 of Q2, those tires were the tires you had to start the race on. And mm -hmm. I loved the implications of that because everyone wants to start the race on mediums, right? So you go out, you have to set a super fast time on those set of mediums. You don't want to destroy the mediums because you have to use them in the race. So you can't just run it ragged and destroy the mediums because you got to use them during the race. And then if you're not in the top 10, now in order to get into the top 10, you might have to switch over to softs, go set a super fast time in the softs. Again, not blow them out completely, leave some life in them. And now you're starting the race on the softs. I was super upset when they got rid of that because yeah. I love the technical implications that that brought up, but even still like with how close a lot of these cars are guys are, or teams are having to decide, Hey, do I throw on, you know, we only have two sets of softs left that have been not unused. Do I burn another one for quality to get higher up or do I save them for the race? Like that's, that's a lot of the strategy that I nerd out on and get a ton of enjoyment when you're watching tire allocations on a super hot weekend when, you know, softs have 10 laps in them or one super hot lap. <laughs> And then they're just gone. They're done. They're worthless. Yep. And they're like, yeah. teams are like, oh, no, we're in P11. Like, is it worth it to start the race on P11 or do we burn another set of softs? Like, I don't know. Right. 
So causing Ferrari to pull their hair out all year. Well, I mean, they were, I think they just had a dartboard with a blind monkey throwing. Which tires are we using? Do we pit and just look over at the monkey to throw a dart? <laughs> Misses, hits the oh, mechanic, mechanic yells, and then they pit. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's it on the tires. They're doing that for two of the qualifying. Um, the other big regulation change is that instead of three sprint races, we're getting six this year. So yes. going along with oh. the changes in qualifying, we'll have six sprint races. That'll be pretty cool. And Coda is one of them, I believe. I'm excited for that one. I wish I wish we were yeah. going there. But, I hope we're going there. Yes, Coda would be fun. The sprint races in general are fun because everyone's like, oh, you know, the racers aren't going to do anything crazy to sacrifice like, you know, race position starting. But no, you get a bunch of A-type racers out there it's no holds bar every time it's great there's always a crash there's it's rank pandemonium half the time right you know i i still go back and forth on the sprint races i'm i I don't know and i think it's because you know sometimes you'll see where i can't remember which race it was but checo ended up like crashing out and completely like he was he was doing excellent in quality the day before like he was on like on track to do really well in the race and now he's starting at the back he's at like p3 yeah, I know, and it, it's I, like it, I go back and forth. I have a love hate relationship with the sprint races. There'll be some boring ones, but then there'll be some that are absolute bangers. I mean, like this is pretty cool, and you get two races out of the weekend. But I'm excited for Dakota for sure. But hopefully, you know, six of them this year. It seems like they might keep going up if they keep having success. So we'll see. I think it's definitely part of the uh, like the the entertainment and spectatorship of the sport. Like most of the teams aren't huge fans of the sprint races. Obviously just like what you said, you know, Sergio went from like P3 to P20 because of the sprint race. It's definitely an added um, risk in there. Also Mm -hmm. it, um, you know, it's extra wear and tear on those engines and the chassis. Like, you know, when you're Ferrari and you go through 11 engines in a year and you're only allotted five, like those sprint races take more life out of those engines like there's definitely a whole added piece for the uh for the teams which is why they don't like it but for the spectatorship yeah i mean sprint race weekends are awesome i'm always excited i get qualifying on friday sprint races on saturday normal race on sunday like sprint race weekends are great now i will say that i'm sure they are amazing if you're actually there at the race because you know when you go to a race friday's kind of whatever you get to see an hour and plus of practice and then a little bit of practice on saturday and then the qualification on saturday but i'm sure like sprint race weekend at the track is going to be amazing because then you get two two races friday's action-packed saturday's action-packed sunday's action-packed so that'd be pretty cool yeah that'll be fun uh all right last one grid penalty formatting um Again, this just gets a little bit more technical. Basically, in layman's terms, if you accrued more than 15 places of grid penalties through replacement of engines or parts or whatever, you start from the very back. Um, And so they are getting rid of that. Instead of just blanket statementing, hey, if you get more than 15, you're just going to the back no matter what. They're now saying you will, if you accrue more than 15 cumulative grid position penalties or who have been penalized to start at the back of the grid, will start behind any other classified driver. So basically, it's mm-hmm. saying you're going to start at the back, but it doesn't have to be P20. If someone else got 
14 grid penalties, but didn't qualify as well, you're still going to start behind those people. So I think it's just trying to get rid of, um, this is kind of the Ferrari regulation change when they were having to replace so many engine components that it kept adding up to more than 15. They were kept getting penalized harsher and forced all the way to the back. Um, they're just trying to, I think, make it not so that plays a ton of the technical aspect of, Hey, what do we replace this weekend? Right? Like, Hey, we need a new, uh, electric engine, combustion engine, turbo, exhaust, transmission, whatever. But, oh, we don't want to replace this, 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 and this because that hits 15 and now we start from the back. So let's not replace this. I think they're trying to make it a little bit easier for teams to replace parts. So that's all the regulation changes of note. We'll see if more stuff comes out. It'll be interesting specifically with the floors. Um, to see with the car releases, which you're going to get into next, if we can see any difference. Yeah, I, you know what? I think that, you know, out of those, probably the, the floor is probably going to have the most noticeable impact, I would say, or the, the biggest impact. Yeah. I saw a video, probably the same one you saw, where they were talking about the McLaren, the differences in the floors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'd still be anxious to see what kind of, you know, time difference that's going to cause, you know, on the per lap or whatever. But should be exciting. It's not going to be any big changes like last year where it was a completely new car, but it'll be cool to see. Yeah, I'm excited. It'll be because of the ground effects and whatnot. I'm just excited to see like what Mercedes brings out of the hat. Like the first couple of races this year are going to be, there's going to be so much speculation about them and how well the teams are doing and it'll be a ton of fun. I fully expect Mercedes to come out with a vengeance without a doubt. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if in race one it's a Mercedes Red Bull Ferrari finish. Like Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna you know, like for from being dominant for so long and you could see the effect last year had on them and on them as a team, I'm sure they're not gonna let that happen again. So that'll be exciting to yeah. see. Um I'm actually excited to see the car, but they haven't released their dates, but we do have a few of the other car launch release dates. Uh we've got right now four of them are confirmed, so we've got Alpha Tauri, February 11th. Uh, you got Aston Martin, February 13th. And then February 14th, we have Ferrari. And then Alpine is releasing their car on February 16th. So all the others are still to be determined or to be confirmed. So anxious to see what's going on with some of these. And I mean, the whole tire or the tire, the whole car launch thing is kind of an entertaining sideshow of unimportance. Because it doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything. Like you, ha- you don't have to launch your car with exactly what it's going to look like at testing. I mean, look at what Mercedes did last year. They launched a typical looking car that looked like Ferraris, and then they showed up to testing the completely different cars. So it's kind yeah. of just a talking point. We're going to get to see what their livery looks like and go from there. But uh, yeah, it, it's that's what I'm excited for. I like it when teams do something different with their livery, kind of like. You know, when you get certain football games and your team will come out. Yeah, exactly. The black Mercedes or uh, the Williams car last year at Coda with like the the U.S. the American flag on it. Um, Yeah. Some of the, what was it, Alpha Towery that did testing with the like prototype, you know, when prototype cars get that white and black where you can't really see the car. Mm -hmm. Um, Alpha One of the cars had that. Alfa Romeo, like I love that kind of stuff. Some of them I wish they would keep, and I know probably they can't because of sponsored obligations and all that. But I love it when they do the special liveries, especially probably my favorite last year 
was the golf livery on the McLaren, that old school blue yes. and uh, papaya or whatever. That one was nice. Yes, I totally agree. So uh, for everyone that this is their first or second year, don't read into the uh, car launches and what the cars look like too much. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's just kind of a fun thing it, to talk about. It's a, a mere formality. It's a mere all right, formality so. that we all look forward to. I kind of mentioned it at the beginning, but the top five races of 2022. Um, so F1 put out this poll on social media, and they had all the fans vote. And I'll just go down and read the top five, and, and we'll see kind of you know what we're thinking compared to what they have, right? So the number, uh, number one race with 34% of the vote was Silverstone, right? Then we had 21% of the vote coming in at number two with Brazil. And then Bahrain was number three with 8% of the vote. Belgium uh, Spa was um, uh, 5% of the vote at number four. And then number five was Hungary with 4% of the vote. What do you feel about that? I don't, I don't really agree. The top two I definitely agree with, but those bottom three I don't. I top don't two totally be. agree with. Yep. No, I don't think the bottom three, like Coda should have been on there. Saudi should have been on there. Like there's definitely... I totally kind of disagree with that. Um, I agree with the top two completely. Silverstone, yeah. Interlagos, Brazil, by far one and two. I had to look them up and see what happened at uh, Bahrain, Belgium, and Hungary. And then I remember Bahrain, yeah, that was you know the first one where I think Charles Leclerc came in first. Both the Ferrari, or both the um, Red Bulls, Red Bulls went out. Were DNFs. But other than that, I mean, it was an exciting race. But that wasn't like a crazy race. Like it was exciting, but it wasn't. It, I mean, it wasn't better than Coda by any means. No, it was not better than Coda. Um, yeah, I was kind of surprised with F1s, but I mean, they just did a poll, so I guess that's what the people liked. Um, and I would also I say, you know, a lot of these people are, you know, Formula One is an international sport and it's largely yes. European, I would say. So, I mean, it's not surprising, obviously, that Great Britain run, even though it was a really, really good race. You know, it definitely deserved to be up there. Um, but those bottom three, yeah, it was probably a lot of Belgian. Yeah, I mean, people Silverstone, from I think probably Silverstone was probably the number one race of the year. If I mean, Brazil was pretty incredible, but Silverstone was, I mean, we're all going to say it's all the English people voting for it. But I mean, I think I would have voted for it. I would have voted yeah. for Coda number one just on principle to be the same as the English and be Got biased. To. But, you know, <laughs> Silverstone was it's pretty incredible. Um I don't know. We keep saying, you know, it's a European sport right now, but we got rumor mills of Ford coming in now to in 2026 to partner with Red Bull's engine building. There's some big hitters and Ford specifically said they're interested because of the budget caps that things aren't going to run away, aren't going to get completely out of hand. Um, and so I've heard quite a few people are talking about coming into form. I say people companies <laughs> are talking about coming into formula one. We already got Audi coming in, yep. um, Ford's rumor milling. There's a couple other ones. It should, it could get pretty interesting if we have some yeah. more American based sponsors coming into the sport. You know, they've also for a while now been rumored, but apparently, you know, the talks have been picking up for Andretti to potentially find a spot in formula one. Um, but yeah, man. For, I, I don't yeah, know. Ford and, and Red Bull. Like a bajillion dollar family. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty wild. Because I think they were actually rumored to take over one of the other teams. Can't remember. I don't want to speak, you know, wrong. Um, but one of the other teams, and then that fell through. But 
I'd be interested to see if they did come in. I would be interested to see a bigger field, you know, instead of the 10 teams, like yeah. maybe add another like two teams or something in there. Um, you know, get a much I don't know about a bigger field per se, but it'd be interesting if the if everyone can max out the budgets. Like if Haas didn't have to pull, you know, their car out of the back of a U-Haul at the home race because they can't afford a semi to bring it over <laughs> like it'd be nice if all the if everyone at least could hit their budget caps with their yep. sponsors like so another thing so. kind of random i was listening to some reports the other day about the exit of yos capito and the future of williams mm -hmm. and that was a side that i hadn't heard of the story but these are from people that are uh f1 pundits like at the actual races and like pretty close with the teams apparently they're saying that yos capito had a pretty negative impact on the team his management styles a lot of the people on the team did not like it um and there's a lot of speculation because there was a lot of people that left not just yos capito and uh i can't remember the other guy's name um the technical director exactly not just those two but a lot of other people had left and a lot of other people are rumored to be very unhappy and they said it was a very toxic uh environment and so they're having a tough time recruiting new people to the team so, I mean, that could potentially have a lasting impact a lot longer than, you know, I think they had a five to 10 year plan. I, I feel like everybody has a five to 10 year plan to get back to the top. Of course um, they do. <laughs> yeah, right. But then uh, apparently podcast that has a five year plan to get to the top. Oh, number one, five years. When we get to five years, we'll just add another five. <laughs> but I thought that was pretty interesting. It gives you a little peek behind the curtain and it's like you see where like. I could see where poor management style could really degrade, especially a team that's already reeling from years of not doing well. And then you bring a toxic leader. And in. it's not just a team that's reeling from not doing well. It's a team that used to do really well. Multiple constructor world champions, multiple driver world champions. Like this isn't a team that's fresh and a name that's unknown. I mean, this is an old name in formula one. Like yep. when you have that kind of history and this kind of, past couple of years i'm sure that doesn't help at all nope not at all i think that's about a wrap for the uh for the first one of the year i'm excited to get this season kicked off yes sir we got i need to get the official countdown I, we're gonna start doing that put the official countdown up because i always like oh we've got uh Let's two months two and a half months march 5th bahrain we have exactly two months we have exactly two months. Exactly two months. Oh, almost there. It's going to fly by. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right, everybody. Well, I think that's it for our first podcast back of the new year. Probably our best one yet of the year. Um, and we'll just see. It can only go up from here. <laughs> can only so, go up. As always. If you're watching this on YouTube and you like what you're seeing, make sure you hit that like and subscribe. If you're on audio and you like what you're hearing, make sure leave a review. And as always, make sure you share this with a friend, please. We're trying to grow this here podcast. And until Absolutely. next time. Absolutely. Hit that five-year plan. Five years. Let's try to cut that down, but we'll see. We shall see. And with that, stay classy, America. <laughs>